0: One text that I've had more questions asked in my life about will be dealt with this morning. And uh, it ought to be interesting. We will see how the Lord will lead us. Uh, I will share with you that if you were not here last week, you probably need to get a copy of that or download that message because it sets the stage for what I'll teach today. And if you don't have that stage setting, uh, you could end up falling on the ground. So there. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll read the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us the holiness of Christ. And the person of your spirit indwelling your people. Father, may we be overwhelmed by that. Father, may we hear your word and understand the amazing grace that we have in our possession just to have your book. Father, the privilege of prayer, the joys and the honor of being in the body of Christ. And Father, your overwhelming purposes, your overwhelming will before us. As Father, as you are the author of history, you are also the author of the future. And Father, uh, I just pray that now you... You help us to hear, Um, you help us to see, and Father, we drink deep from your word to your glory and praise, Christ's name, amen. Beginning at verse 29 through 34, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we will die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Now, you've got to understand where we're at. All right, We are dealing with the greatest doctrinal statements on the resurrection that has ever been penned in Scripture. You've got to remember at the writing of this letter, um, nothing else has been spoken on the resurrection. The gospel records are not penned. This is the first and probably the utmost understanding on the resurrection, its meaning, its purposes, motivation behind the resurrection and the proof of the resurrection. All right And I shared with you last week that when you are exposed to biblical exposition, to biblical preaching, every message you get is demanding a response. You cannot expose yourself to theology and not have some response. It's impossible. And, and, you know, I, I see people who get involved in altar calls and all these other things. And you know what? I don't, I'm not against altar calls. I've used them before, but I never use them just for the sake of doing something at the conclusion of a service. I believe that if I preach the word, there is going to be a response. I may visibly, visibly see it. I may not, but you cannot expose yourself to the person of God and as a mortal human being, not have a response. Okay. Here's the other thing. Right theology will bring about right living. When I see people who are crooked in their lives, I know that they're crooked in their theology. Somewhere they've gotten off the track. All right. And when you think about the resurrection, are you really encompassing all that that is? Because it's just like we read this morning out of John 11. Lazarus come forth he got out of the grave now that was raising the dead but that is not the resurrection the resurrection is the spirit of the human being being joined to a resurrection body that has absolute perfect holiness and no ability to sin that should be a longing you know my little conversation with Nelda this week I heard someone longing for the resurrection listen you can't make people believe that God has to invade the soul to make people believe that now then our favorite verses in the Bible verse 29 what is up with being baptized for the dead okay this is a fascinating text fascinating okay but again in its context what is it saying all right? And and I hope that I can, I can help you say this. Matt makes fun of me. He says the reason you took so long to get through First Corinthians is you knew this text was coming, and you didn't want to deal with it. And I said, well, I don't, I don't mind dealing with it. I just hope that I can do it when we're all in glory, because then it'll be very clear. Here's what happens when I stumbled into this text. I found between 40 and 400 interpretations of this text. Okay. What is amazing about that is any one of them might be right. Okay. And so I will be upfront with you today and just, I just so that we clear the dust so that you guys all know where I'm at. People will ask me, what is it saying here? And I can look you in the eye and say, I have read this book for eight years every day. And I can honestly tell you right now, I have no idea what it's saying here. Okay? How in the world do you expect me to look between 40 and 400 interpretations, views of this text, and let alone come to some kind of conclusion? All right? But... I do have a conclusion. Okay, and it, I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's taken me almost eight years to come to it. All right? Um, but I am not going to be dogmatic about my conclusion. Um, this passage is maybe one of the most obscure in Holy Scripture. And it's that obscure, it makes it difficult to be dogmatic about it, all right? Uh, But it's in here, in its context, and what Paul's trying to get at here to the Corinthians, I believe that we can draw some conclusions. Um, And I believe that its context lends itself to some of these conclusions. I believe that its context lends itself to the conclusion I've come up to, uh, and then you can have whatever you want. Um, I can honestly tell you that over even in the last couple of weeks i 've had uh, four different views of this text. I, I can tell you that in one day I had four different views of this text. and I can also tell you that maybe this afternoon or tomorrow my four views may change. all right here 's the thing, in its context. Paul is pointing out things that happen if we lose the resurrection, if we give up the literal bodily resurrection. All right? So when I read this, in these verses, this whole chapter 15, I know that he's got legitimate things in here that we have to pay attention to. Paul's argument is people get saved because they have an anticipation. They, they, they are expecting a literal bodily resurrection. Okay? One of the strongest incentives for people to become Christians is the hope of the resurrection. I mean, let's be realistic about it. It's like if you go to a funeral, okay, it is very easy to spot who's saved and who's not. And I don't care what they profess. But those who are saved do not grieve as those who have no hope. And those who grieve uncontrollably and are overwhelmed by the loss of this loved one are not thinking about the resurrection. See, to become a Christian means you have to look, you don't have to look at the bleakness and the blackness of the grave. Okay? You have resurrection hope. And let's be realistic. Death faces us all. I mean, I'm listening to, I'm sure that some of you have heard there's some kind of economic problem. I don't, you know, all the problems. I mean, it seems like, Is there anything else happening on planet Earth? (laughs) And then they say, no, there's not. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And, you know, and and one of the guys come to me and he says, you just don't seem concerned about it. I said, you got to have money to be in the stock market. (laughs) I ain't in it. (laughs) I ain't worried about it. (laughs) And I said, you know, I don't care where it goes. (laughs) You can sell it off. And the other thing is, is that I have resurrection hope. To be a Christian, we know we'll can be rejoined with everybody else who is a Christian. We're going to spend eternity with them. We're going to enter into heaven. We're going to dwell with God. We're going to live in his celestial kingdom. And we'll marvel for eternity at the life that has been presented to us. I think that's what Paul's saying here in verse 29 specifically. I think that what he has there in verse 29 is incentive for salvation. What? The bodily resurrection. The literal bodily resurrection. How did I come to that conclusion? Let me see if I can show you. The the Mormons have a whole doctrine on this. okay, Uh, And it's basically called vicarious baptism. Right, Um, You get saved by proxy. You can die not knowing Jesus Christ and then somebody who really likes you gets baptized for you and you get saved. It's kind of (laughs) cool. So, I mean, didn't we just step into universalism? All I need is everybody's name and a big bucket of water okay, in a swimsuit because you're going to be all wrinkly if you go however many billion we got on the planet Earth right now. But the Mormons teach that. Now listen, let me give you a principle for biblical interpretation. All right? This is a never. Never generate a doctrine out of an obscure text when no other text teaches it. Okay, I don't care how bad you want to grab a hold of it. Don't do it. <laughs> You'll end up in Waco, Texas with ATF outside knocking on the door. Excuse me. <laughs> okay, the person who gets baptized by themselves don't get saved by being baptized. Let alone for a dead person. Okay, and and, and I watch people... Making this text say what they want to say want it to say, and the problem is that I call that an all out attack on the Bible. What does the text say? Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? if the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Okay listen salvation is faith in Christ, period. Okay? Does anybody know where the thief on the cross was baptized? But, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Alright? Alright, baptism is just an act of obedience. That's all it is. Alright? Faith that proclaims... uh, That it's true of salvation. My salvation is such that I want to be baptized in obedience. No one is saved by baptism, living or dead. Please understand that. All right. Um, Listen. Think about your book. That would be your Bible. It is appointed to man. It is appointed unto man to what? Die once. After this, not baptism. After, his, after you're dead, you have judgment. Listen, that goes for lost and saved. You will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what you've done in the body. Okay? Now then, I, I've read some of the translations and some of the interpretations of this text. And when I read this, I say, who is Paul writing to? It's a church. Right? This is a God-fearing church. He knows that. This is not a doctrinal problem church. This is a church. He planted the church. He was there for a long time. He raised them up, and they had preachers coming in. They had Paulus coming in. Some people from Cephas had come in, and they had some good stuff going on in this church. Now, they had a, a big pride problem. But the truth of the matter is he wrote to this church. So those who have a view that this is a pagan ritual completely missed the text. This is Christian baptism. Please understand that. This isn't some s- s- custom, okay? The ba- term baptism here, when he speaks baptism to a Christian church, what are they going to think? Immersion into a body of water. Okay? Here's what's... The most... The most common to anyone reading this is who is he writing to? Believers in Jesus Christ who gather together in the, the first church of Corinth. It's Christian baptism. Some people say they're... So I want to make this as clear as I can, but when you read this, what will those who are being baptized for the dead? There are those in this church, some people in this church who are being baptized in a Christian manner. Okay. So when you read the term the word there baptized, it literally means it's not some pagan thing. It's baptism. It is water baptism, the Christian manner. So what is he saying here? All right. Let me see if I can help you. Take your New Testament and I want you to mark your thinking with this, all right? In the New Testament, anytime you see the idea of being baptized, Okay? It is always in relationship to what? Salvation. Isn't it? Isn't it? It, Listen, he teaches in Romans that there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Okay? But when you see they speak of the literal baptism, a water baptism, what is that in reference to? time okay now listen it doesn't teach that uh, what they call baptismal regeneration alright you know saved by dunking the bible does not teach that anywhere alright the great commission is what make disciples okay so first thing you're going to do is you're going to win them into Christ then you're going to teach them and then what are you going to do? Baptize them. You don't separate them. Jesus's own words were baptism is a sign of salvation. All right. Um, Acts chapter 19. Paul shows up in Ephesus and he runs into some of John the Baptist's disciples. Okay. He asks them a question. All right, it's a fascinating question if you think about it. He asked him a question. You remember the question? Have you been baptized? And they said, We have had John's baptism, but we have not heard of this. Okay? So Paul took baptism and said it is synonymous with salvation. Why? That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. Now listen, I, I really want to be emphatic about this. I do not believe in baptismal regeneration. Baptism does not save you. Okay? I, I, I want to be explicit about that. The apostle Paul never taught that. Christ never taught that. It is an outward act of an inward reality. I am saved, therefore I wish to be baptized. All right? So he's not talking about a ritual, What shall they do who are saved? Be baptized. Now then, so when you read this text, you see baptized. This is Christian baptism. I believe that he's using the same synonymous understanding that he had with the disciples of John the Baptist. Okay? He's basically saying, are you saved? Okay, now then, why do I say that? What, you're... Driving something into the text here that ain't here, Really, have you read verse 30? What does verse 30 say? Why are, what? We. Okay, what's he saying in verse 29? What do you do with the word those? They, them. And then we. That's a contrast. What is he contrasting? Unbelievers to believers. So if you take the word baptism and you utilize it and you say, you know what? Paul uses baptism and salvation synonymously. Christ used baptism synonymously. Okay? And then you read it and you sit there and say, there are those who are being baptized... Now, this New American Standard Translation says, For the dead. For the dead. Okay? So, so do you see the contrast that I have? I have a group of unbelievers and I have a group of believers. All right? What are those people, the unbelievers, the, who are being saved? Okay? Baptism is an outward sy- symbol of true salvation. Okay? But for the dead... For the dead? People are getting saved for the dead? That don't sound right. How could someone get saved for the dead? Okay, here's the problem that I think exists. And, and I, I still struggle with it, but this is my conclusion. The word for that you see there in your text, for the dead, is huper. Huper okay the problem with hupair the word is that <laughs> it has four or has 12 different meanings 12 different translations okay one you see there in the new american standard for the dead okay pair can be over the dead above the dead across the dead beyond the dead behalf of the dead instead of the dead Name of the dead, because of the dead, reference to the dead, or regards to the dead. Okay, do you see the problem? In all of those translations, there's two more, but they don't fit. In all those translations, um, if the context permits it, it's an accurate translation. So, (laughs) what do you find out when you do all that study? You have to pick one. (laughs) Pick a word. And then you will come up with your own translation. All right? That's what I did. All right? And here's part of the reason I did it, in the syntax of the sentence, it's looking for causal use. Okay, in the original language. Okay, what what did you say? Um, There is a cause here. And there has to be the word there that says, what is the cause? Okay, if baptism is referenced to salvation, okay, and I see the contrast between believers and unbelievers, that means somebody's getting saved. Okay, all right. And it's for the... For the dead? Well, that don't make sense. Um, I use the word because of. Now think about it a second. Some people, unbelieving, are being saved because of death. People dying. Dead would have a reference to the Christians here. Uh, why would they get saved if the dead don't rise? That's his argument in the text. Okay? There are some people who come to Christ and are being saved because some dead person or persons. Let's be realistic. If you've been to a funeral, you know that it is a powerful evangelistic tool. Okay. Listen, there are two things, and I gave you this on your outline, incentive for salvation. There are two things that draw people to Christ. Okay. An unbeliever sees a Christian. He watches that Christian face death, and that Christian has hope. That Christian has confidence. That Christian is in courage. That Christian is anticipating being with Christ. That Christian has hope in the face of death. That lost person now has an incentive. How do they do that? Listen, (laughs) to use the phrase, death separates the men from the boys. I mean, death cuts it clean. Death doesn't make you want to rationalize or philosophize or any of that other thing. God says, oh, by the way, let me give you the definition of eternity. Here it is. There's incentive. Listen, unbelievers fear death. Unbelievers look at death as hopeless. So sometimes when a Christian dies... The very death of that saint, the confidence that that saint has, the faith that that saint has, that hope that that saint has in the face of death draws someone to Christ, right? Some have come to Christ simply because they have seen the hope in the heart of the believer. That's possibly what Paul's saying here, correct? Correct? If there's no resurrection, then why are some unbelievers coming to salvation in the view of death if there's no resurrection? Because of a great hope they see in those who have died. And how do they have that great hope if there is no resurrection? Remember, that's his argument. Verse 12 how can some of you say there's no resurrection? Second element. Of an incentive. Another great thing in death that causes people to be saved, to be drawn into the kingdom. Now, and listen, I, I want you to understand something. I understand this often work of moving of the Holy Spirit. I'm just using the phrases that, you know, I'm not going to get into God drawing and us choosing and all. I ain't going to get into it. That ain't what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about those people to be saved. Why do people get saved? And a second element of a death is the hope of reunion they will be reunited with their loved one. Listen, you hear it in every funeral. D- tell me I'm wrong. Every funeral, somebody's going to say, we're going to see him again. You know, I'm not sure in every funeral that's true, but I know that, let me comfort you. Okay. And all oh, your loved ones burning in hell. I'm hoping you don't see him again. <laughs> I, the, you know, <laughs> nah, nah. <laughs> that ain't going to work. Some people come to Christ to be reunited with someone that they love. It happens a lot. I remember going to Russia a couple of years ago. Uh, my last trip at Russia, I had dinner at this man's house and he was hurting over his son. His son had been kicked out of the church for sexual immorality and got a whole big old long list of stuff. And it broke his heart. This guy was a... a, a an amazing man of God, taught I don't know how many Bible studies and one was in a jail and did the thing in an orphanage and planted in a church and all the rest of it. Dimitri was his name. And when I went back, I had gotten in there on early Saturday morning and they said, Dimitri died. And I said, really? He said, yeah, and you're doing the funeral today. And you're like, far out. Cool. And his son showed up at the funeral. And his son came to repentance. He broke his heart that his dad had died. And his son returned. His son is amazing right now. He just got out of the army. Uh, is involved in the church. Um, has been restored to the fellowship of the saints. Uh, has made amends to some people that he had kind of done wrong. I mean, this guy was a trip. But he is back. Uh, Not only that, they've got him in deacon training. They want him to become a a deacon in the church. Why? He wants to be reunited with his father. See, you love someone who loved the Lord and you want to be reunited, reunited with that person. You've seen their love for the Lord. You probably took it for granted. Listen, Paul is saying here, look, if there's no resurrection, if there's no hope to be fulfilled, why are people getting saved because of this anticipation that is seen in the hearts and lives of Christians? That's how I read this text. The hope of the resurrection is held by saved people. And that is powerful initiative to lost people. You know, uh, loved ones who are still here, who do not know the Lord, want to be saved. They want to be baptized because they want to see their loved ones again. It's a great incentive, this reunion. If there's no resurrection, what's the incentive? Loved one is dead, and all ends there. Listen, this goes back um, a few years. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 35, um, Jacob has been informed that his son is dead. His brothers have brought a cloak in, Joseph's cloak, and it was all torn up, had blood on it. And um, then all of his sons and daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept. Okay he knew that he was going to go to where his son was, Shul, the abode of the dead. David's son died. David, his son that he had in an adulterous affair, murderous affair with Bathsheba died, and he says, I shall not grieve anymore. Why? I shall go to him our Lord dealing with those wonderful Pharisees in Matthew's gospel chapter 22 verse 30 says this for in the resurrection there is they neither marry nor are given in marriage but they are like angels in heaven but regarding the resurrection of dead have you not read what was spoken to you by God I am the God of Abraham and of God of Isaac and the God of Jacob he is not a God of the dead he is but the God of the living The Thessalonian believers, Thessalonian believers are a trip. They lived with the imminent, spontaneous, any second Christ return mentality. They believed that every breath they took was that second that Christ was going to be. And these people were freaked out. Any minute, Jesus is coming back. Just like that. They had a confidence in that belief. They were overwhelmed in that belief. But their confidence and their belief caused them some problems. Chapter 4, verse 13 says this. I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unaware about this. Brethren, about those who are asleep, That be the dead Christians, so that you do not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. See, they thought that Jesus could come back any minute. Uncle Bob's already dead. Did he miss the resurrection? That was what their concern was. You know, my child has died. My child was a believer in Jesus Christ. And, and, you know, and I know he's coming back. He's going to be in the shadow. The archangels are going to be in the clouds. And what about him? I stuck his body in the dirt. So don't worry. God will return and have him with him. He said, we don't sorrow like those who have no hope. We're not like the Greeks that says, you're here, now you're dirt. We don't have to do that. We will be reunited. They will all be there. That's why the Apostle Paul is using this in this text, I believe, to speak of it in this manner, is that he's using baptism as, a, as salvation. And why are people getting saved at the death of a saint if there's no resurrection? There's no resurrection. Why are people putting that much confidence in it? I think that this is a powerful statement. And here's one of the reasons that I think about this. Who's writing this? Paul. Do you remember Acts chapter 7? That would be the stoning of Stephen. Stephen. And a guy named Saul of Tarsus was standing with the cloaks of the murderers at his feet. He was guarding the coats. And he saw that guy look to heaven and say, Lord, do not hold this against them. That's a powerful That's a powerful exposure to the hope in the heart of a Christian. I don't care who you are. You're sitting there killing that guy and he's saying, they don't know what they're doing. That's powerful. So when I read this text now in chapter 15, I I think it's pretty clear when it says, otherwise, what will those unbelievers do who are being baptized because of death. There are people because, one, of the resurrection, or two, I want to be reunited, who are coming to salvation. And why would they come to salvation if there is no resurrection? That's what he says. If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized? Why then are they being saved? And I will go back to my disclaimer. I will not be dogmatic on this text, but it seems to fit the context. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that uh, I did not do it injustice in my understanding of this. Father, you know, I prayed over this. You know that I sought you in this and, and 400 other people. Help me, Lord. Lord. Help my brothers and sisters understand that uh, it is in here and it teaches us to encourage us on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of us who are called by your name. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you that the clear things you make clear and other things you give us to just strengthen us for the task that is at hand. I think of this task, I think of this text in light of my dear sister Nelda. And I think, Lord, how many will be saved through her life in the hope of the resurrection? Please, Lord, add to your kingdom greatly. In Christ's name, amen.